the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Welcome indeed. Thanks so much for being with us. It is eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Tuesday, the ninth morning of the first month of the year of our Lord 2024. And we've got a Kersenau day in front of us. Peter Kersenau will be with us in one hour. Very much looking forward to his conversation and analysis of what's going on in the news today. He is our only guest today. That means we have plenty of time for you. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. And oh my, do we have a lot of news to discuss this morning. Did you know that we were being shaken down by a combination of Mexican drug cartels and um, Italian mafia families? That's the only way to describe this. It's the only way I can think of describe it. When In the old world mafia... What you think of when you think of, you know, when when the mafia ran, you know, held sway over New York and some of the other big cities. When you think of the mafia, they used to have uh, basically what's like kind of like a protection racket. You pay them to have them not beat the living hell out of you. You pay them not to take you out or take out your family or take out your businesses or whatever. They would have to pay protection, essentially. So that's the that's the, the mafia part of this thing. Then the other part of it is Mexican drug cartels. Mexican drug cartels kind of operate in the same way. And it's a combination of those two things that I think best describe what we got yesterday from the president of Mexico. A threat from the Mexican president that said, we will continue to allow the invasion of your country and the erasure of your national security if you don't pay us. <laughs> That's exactly what a cartel does. It's exactly what the old world mafia does. And that's what Mexico is doing. 
Mexican President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador issued a series of demands detailing what the U.S. must offer them in exchange for Mexico's help in stopping the wanton and and unchecked invasion um, into the United States by way of the U.S.-Mexico border. His demands came during Friday's uh, uh, meeting with Alejandro Mayorkas and Secretary of State Antony Blinken in Mexico City that they held in late December. The uh, uh, demands were revealed yesterday. They're just hitting the news cycle yesterday and today, however. And here's what they say. U.S. officials requested that Mexico boost its assistance in stopping illegal immigration, and Obrador said only for protection money. You have to pay us, and you have to pay other countries in order for us to agree to somehow manage to staff and secure our side of the border to stop them from coming into your side of the border. Lopez Obrador responded to um, the American request by demanding $20 billion of U.S. money be given to Latin American and Caribbean countries, along with work visas for 10 million Hispanics to work in the United States. Work visas for 10 million Hispanics. You also have to, said the Mexican president to the United States, to the weakest, most feckless, pathetic administration in American history. I'll have to go back and check my history to make sure that none of the previous uh, administrations were this bad. I can't think of anybody who's been weaker off the top of my head, so we'll run with it. But they said that in addition to $20 billion for Latin American and Caribbean countries and 10 million Hispanics getting work visas in the United States, the U.S. also has to agree to end sanctions against socialist Venezuela and halt the blockade of Cuba. <laughs> it's just, I mean, th- this is literally kind of a pay-for-play uh, protection racket. So you want us to uh, keep the, uh, you know, the illegals from crossing into your border? Well, this is what it's going to cost you. And if you don't come up with the money, then you know you, we're going to we're going to have your legs broken. And metaphorically speaking, we're going to allow another, I don't know, 300,000, 400,000 to come through our country and up into your country next month, just like we did last month. It's paying for protection. It's, it's, it's really quite incredible. And, and the Biden administration just kind of nods along. You know what, you know what we used to do when it came to trying to stop the, um, uh, uh, overflow and invasion of illegals into the United States by way of Mexico, we had Donald Trump in office go down to the uh, president of Mexico's office and knock on the door and say, hey, keep these freaking people over here or you get nothing from us ever. That's the gist of the Remain in Mexico policy. That's called negotiating from a position of strength. Nothing that you have allow uh, exists essentially without us you ever want to trade with us again you ever want to have any cooperation from us you want us to provide any aid or assistance to you keep them the hell over there when they come over to into your country demanding a passageway into our country so they can seek phony asylum you keep them over there our asylum courts are backed up 
our hear- we can't have hearings for years, sometimes two, three years. This is back during the Trump administration. Now that number is up to four to six years before anybody can even be heard in an, in an immigration asylum hearing. So Trump's answer to that, and he got the Mexican government to agree to it by being strong, was to say, you wait here, and when you, the time for your hearing comes, we'll bring you into the United States, let you appear before our immigration judges, and decide whether or not your, your claim of asylum has merit. Until then, you stay in Mexico. Why did that work? Well, here's why it worked. None of them want anything to do with being in Mexico. It's not much different than be, from being in some of the Caribbean countries or the Latin American countries or the South American countries or the Central American countries that they're coming from. From the standpoint of poverty and opportunity, Mexico is not much better than El Salvador or, uh, or, or uh, Nicaragua or Venezuela, even for that matter. It's not much better. So when people around the world were thinking we're going to use Mexico as the land bridge to get into the United States where the real opportunity exists, when they find out they're not going to be allowed in and they have to wait in Mexico for a period of two or three or four or five or six years to go into the United States, they're thinking, well, what's the point? They don't even bother making the trip. That's how you negotiate from a position of strength. But unfortunately, out goes Trump due to what I still believe and will always believe until somebody absolutely proves it false, uh, was a crooked and robbed and sham and rigged and stolen election in 2020. Out goes Trump the strong. In comes Biden the weak. He immediately eliminates the Remain in Mexico policy, tells the Mexican government, let them come through your land bridge. Let them come. They can wait here in our cities. They can wait by the tens of thousands in New York. They can wait by the tens of thousands. Well, actually, they didn't think of that. They don't like that part at all. They want them to wait by the tens and the hundreds of thousands in San Antonio and in Houston and in Dallas and in Fort Worth and in all throughout Texas and maybe in, in, in Flagstaff or in Tucson and Arizona. The border states have to absorb absorb tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, and ultimately, over the course of three years of Biden, up to nine million illegals already. But fortunately, Governor Greg Abbott and some others have started moving these people so that they can wait by the tens of thousands in left-wing Eric Adams Sanctuary City of New York and left-wing Lori Lightfoot, now Brandon Johnson Sanctuary City of Chicago and left-wing... um left-wing and uh, sanctuary city, Eric Arcetti's Los Angeles, and so on and so forth, sending these people where they belong, in the sanctuary cities that say, we provide sanctuary for illegals. But the point being, now Mexico is telling the weakest, most feckless administration in American history, known as the Biden administration, if you want us to stop push putting all of these people through, if you want us to stop allowing the, the nation of Mexico to be used as a land bridge to get into your country, you better come up shooting with the dough. $20 billion, $20 billion with a B. $10 million work visas for Hispanics. And yes, you have to end the, um, 
uh, sanctions against Venezuela and halt the blockade of Cuba. So, in other words, it's bribery. It's coercion. It's bribery. It's paid protection. Call it whatever you want to call it. You understand what it is. And this is only possible because of, again, the weakest president in the history of this country, the weakest administration that has been willing to sell out American priorities. Which brings us an American sovereignty as well as security. Which brings us to our second top story here. Tomorrow, state attorneys general from the heartland are going to be testifying at the first impeachment hearing of DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Can you dig it? The Department of Homeland Insecurity or Non-Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas is facing impeachment now. This is much more fast-tracked, it would appear, than even the impeachment of Biden. That doesn't make me happy. I think they should both be in the same situation since they both conspired to do this. But we get what we get. (laughs) So, Attorneys General from the Heartland will testify at this impeachment hearing of Mayorkas as early as tomorrow, describing the effect that the ongoing migrant crisis has had on their states, despite the distance of those states from the besieged border. Montana's Attorney General, Austin Knudsen, Oklahoma Attorney General, Gentner Drummond, and Missouri Attorney General, Andrew Bailey, will all testify about the impact of the crisis on their states, as well as the legal challenges they have launched against the Biden administration's policies. They're also going to describe how Mayorkas is not enforcing the law and that's the reality they're not in he is and they are not enforcing the law that's why former ice uh chief tom homan who is an american patriot through and through he went on fox to lay out the truth of this that alejandro mayorkas is not negotiating in good faith he's not even worth talking to because it's like talking to uh well how did he put well, here's it? the problem you got Langford is, is negotiating with Mayorkas, right? That's like talking to an arsonist how to put out a fire. <laughs> That's exactly right. He's the one who lit the fire. He's the one who lit the fuse. He's the one who fans the flames. He's the one who continues to go before congressional and Senate committees and say the border's closed. What are y'all talking about? The border's not open, the border's closed. He is the one who opened it and then gaslights us into believing that, no, this is beyond their control. The border's actually closed. What are you talking well, about? Well, here's the problem. You got Langford is, is negotiating with Mayorkas, right? That's like talking to an arsonist how to put out a fire. He hasn't reached out to career law enforcement officers like myself or Mark Morgan or Rodney Scott, guys who spent decades on this issue, working for six different administrations on seeing what policies worked, what policies didn't. We haven't, made, we haven't received one phone call on what we think would work and what we know has failed over the last six administrations. Why not bring the experts? to the table like the Trump administration did, which ended with great success. Politicians talking to politicians never works. And it makes me sad to say that, but that's just a stone cold fact. You need the people who spent decades on this border and saw success and saw failure to help you find success. Mayorkas is like negotiating with an arsonist about how to put out a fire. And that's why he's going to be impeached. And at least that's why tomorrow the hearings begin on his impeachment. I want to share another piece of audio related to this. This is um, Speaker Mike Johnson talking about uh, Alejandro Mayorkas 
when he spoke with Margaret Brennan on CBS's Face the Nation. This is how he describes the attempt to work with him to get any control of the border. These are very, very real and immediate issues. It is a crisis. So don't you need the help of the Homeland Security Secretary instead of trying to impeach him? (laughs) We've been asking uh, uh, Secretary Mayorkas since he took office to enforce the law, to do his job, and he's done exactly the opposite. He's testified... Untruthfully but, but why focus the congressional resources on going ahead with an impeachment when they could be dealing with the actual issues here on the ground? I believe Secretary Mayorkas is an abject failure, but it's not because of incompetence. I believe he has done this intentionally. I think these are intentional policy decisions that he's made, and I think there must be accountability for that. Secretary You're going to impeach Mayorkas, the guy you need to negotiate with. Secretary Mayorkas is not a good faith negotiating partner. He is unwilling to enforce existing federal law. Why would we believe that he would do uh, any new provision. He's lied to Congress repeatedly. He's lied to me personally About under what? oath. He s- stood in front of my committee on multiple occasions and insisted that the border is closed and secure when everyone in America knows it's not true. D- don't you just love the intentionally daft questions from these mainstream media reporters like uh, Margaret Brennan? Well, he's lied to you. About what? Uh, about the border! about why it's wide open, and he tells us and gaslights us until it's close. Why would you want to impeach the person you have to negotiate with? Listen, bubblehead, understand something. If he has not been honest and negotiated an actual solution to the border crisis in 2021, nor in 2022, nor in 2023, each year of which saw more border crossings by illegals than the year before to the point where we're averaging at the end of 2023 240,000 illegals a month, a new record of over 300,000 in December. If he's not going to do anything about it in 2021, 22, or 23, what the hell makes you think he's going to do anything different in 2024? That's why we're impeaching him. Because there's nothing to negotiate when he refuses to acknowledge that the border is open. When he refuses to acknowledge that the border, and it is intentional, is nothing more than a, than a, um, a, it's, it's symbolic. There's a, there's a line on a map, but it's not an actual border. We are an open borders nation with Biden and Mayorkas policies in play. We are an open borders country. The world flows to Mexico and then walks across unabated. That's reality. So that's why they're going to start impeaching this guy tomorrow. We're going to talk about that with Kersenau, among other things, coming up at uh, 1010 this morning. But again, I, I've got so much m- more information for you we're going to share, but I do want to hear from you, too, at 216-901-0945. Let's get our pledge in so we can get this day started off properly. And I know we've already uh, got it launched, but here we go. Patriots, go ahead and stand and face your flag and put your hand on your heart and join us for this pledge. If you are a believer in anything that Alejandro Mayorkas has ever said while in the position of Homeland Security uh, Secretary, then you don't believe in this nation's sovereignty, its borders, its liberty, its security, or its flag. So don't fake it and stand there and virtue signal your way through a pledge. Just go ahead and do what you want to do in your heart of hearts. Take a knee next to the other socialists. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands one nation under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all 
Okay, we'll take our time out here. If you want to make a call, this is the time to dial. Again, we've got an open segment here, an open half hour, if you will, before Peter Kersenow at 1010. Then Pete and I will do our thing until almost 11, and then you can call back after 11. So if you don't want to wait until after 11, dial now. 216-901-0945, Yes, we are aware that Michigan is the national champion. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right. Excuse me. It is uh, 934. Appreciate you being with us. Phone lines are open at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. We're talking about the uh, start of uh, the impeachment hearings of Alejandro Mayorkas, which are going to uh, take place tomorrow. I just gave you some important audio from uh, from Tom Homan. I want to give you a little bit more too, as we talk about this threat from uh, uh, from uh, the Mexican president Obrador, saying if you don't pay us the protection money, basically that we can spread out to the Latin American and Central American countries, and don't take ten million Hispanics uh, on work visas, then we don't stop any of the uh, migrants coming up to our border and thus into and across your border. Um, that's the threat from Obrador. Now, here's the threat from Mayorkas himself. I want you to listen to this conversation. This is um, Representative uh, Randy Weber from Texas. He's a congressman from Texas. Obviously, they're at the middle of all of this. This is his conversation with Maria Bartiromo. And I want you to listen to what Mayorkas said, and this is toward the end of the clip. This is about a a two-and-a-half-minute clip, so be patient. And at the end, you're going to hear Mayorkas make a... An ominous statement about what would happen if he gets impeached. Listen. It's to me that you are having such a hard time getting any movement whatsoever on any policy change at the border. What are you going to do about it? I mean, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas met with Border Patrol agents in Eagle Pass, Texas, yesterday. And sources told Fox News that Mayorkas admitted that 85% of the illegal immigrants that are coming through illegally, they're actually being released into the country every day. 85%. Agents pressed Mayorkas on the number because he told Fox's Brett Baer that it was 70% being released. Now we understand it's actually 85%. So tell me about this upcoming Homeland Security Committee hearing. They're holding the first impeachment hearing into Mayorkas tomorrow. Congressman, do you actually think this guy is going to get impeached? Well, I hope so, Maria. If you So 85% failure? rate basically this is the guy that said they had operational control of the border if you remember and if you and i failed 85 percent of the time at our job how long do you think we would last i absolutely believe he's not going to be should be impeached because he's not protecting the american public Well, it it seems he's also not being straightforward with any of us either. For the longest time, he was telling us that the border was secure. And then this very disturbing moment, uh, which we understand took place as well, I want to get your reaction to. Florida Congresswoman Kat Kamek revealed on Fox News yesterday that Mayorkas once warned lawmakers about impeaching him when they were talking to him behind closed doors about the upcoming impeachment inquiry. He threatened them. Watch this. When behind closed doors, we told him, you're you're getting ready to be impeached. He said, you're not going to like who comes next. I asked him if that was a threat. He just smiled. 
this man is dangerous. He knows exactly what he's doing, and he is two-faced. Wow. Congressman, you heard what your colleague just said. Behind closed doors, he said, you're not going to like what comes next. What does that mean? Well, clearly, Maria, he's outlived his usefulness. But to threaten members of Congress and, by extension, the American public, what kind of gall does that take? What does that say about his commitment to do what's best for Americans, do what's best for our communities, best for the border, best for the state of Texas, especially? He To threaten members of Congress, it's unconscionable. He, he should have, long, in my opinion, he should have long ago been impeached. So, again, that's Congressman Randy Weber from Texas, 14th in Texas. Um, that line is is ominous. You're getting ready to be impeached, he was told. His response was, you won't like what comes next. What does that mean? What does that mean? When he was asked, he just smiled. This man, Kat Kamek, said is dangerous. He knows exactly what he's doing, and he is two-faced. He is every bit of that. Meanwhile, publicly, he continues to play the game and put on the, it's a broken system, it's not our fault, and we're doing everything we can to reduce what he calls, you ready for this spin? You ready for this pant load? Irregular migration. (laughs) Illegal immigration repackaged as Irregular migration. In fact, the majority of all migrants encountered at the southwest border throughout this administration have been removed, returned, or expelled. A majority of them. Eighty-five freaking percent of them have been allowed to stay. We literally just got that admission. Eighty-five percent have been allowed to stay, and he's going to gaslight us and tell us that the majority have been removed? We are doing everything we can within a broken system to incentivize non-citizens to use lawful pathways, to impose consequences on those who do not, and to reduce irregular migration. There's that pant load. Irregular migration. It's called illegal immigration and an exploitation of the policy that you, as the Secretary of Homeland Freaking Security, have put in play. You need to work with your boss, the President of the United States, and legislators, if necessary, to change the asylum laws. You know damned well that every single one of these people coming from around the globe have been taught to say, I'm claiming asylum, I'm seeking asylum from persecution in my home country. And that's all they have to say. They don't have to prove it until they have their hearing, which is four to six years down the road. And you, they, it's meanwhile, they set up shop here in the United States. The broken system has been broken by you, by Joe Biden. The moment you, bought, you you took office and the moment you were appointed for crying out loud. The position, Alex, is called Homeland Security. Your job, your oath to the American people is to secure the homeland. That means from sea to shining, shining sea and from border to border, northern to southern, that is your job, to secure it. You have intentionally left it wide open and are now claiming it's a broken system. You broke it. That's why Tom Holman is correct to say 
Asking Alejandro Mayorkas how to secure the border is like asking the arsonist how to put out the fire. We will continue to do everything we can, and we will continue to enforce the law. But we need Congress to make the legislative changes and provide the funding that our frontline officers so desperately need. Stop lying! Your frontline officers aren't being asked to secure the border. They're being taken from security positions and put into processing positions to process the quote-unquote asylees and get them off to where they're going to go in the United States. It's a policy measure, not a funding measure, and you're... Got to watch myself here to put, I don't want to, as Peter Kersenow says, put the license in danger here. But your lying arse, I'll phrase it that way, has set the policies in motion. You are the reason. You are the reason why it's not a funding issue. You have made it a policy issue. What is remarkable is that through it all, the brave men and women of U.S. Customs and border protection and, and processing asylees. Their partners in the Department of Homeland Security have and will continue to put on their uniforms, don their badges. Their uniforms are blue smocks with little kind of yellowish sunlight type of logos. And it has a little name tag on it that say that says, Welcome to Walmart. Their uniform is that of a Walmart greeter. They greet them at our non-existent border and say, come on in. Welcome. Nice to see you today. And work at great risk to themselves in the service of their... We are not stupid, Alex. We are not stupid. We know your game, and we are tired of it, and that's why tomorrow the Republican leadership in the House is going to listen to the first testimony of individuals who are going to end up in your impeachment. I don't care about your threat that we won't like what comes next. I know it'll be another leftist. I know it'll be somebody else that's going to do the same doggone thing. But if we don't take steps, then we will have admit we will essentially have surrendered sovereignty. If we don't take steps to try, remove this individual, and then hope that his replacement is not confirmed by the Senate, if we don't at least try, then we will have been complicit in the surrender of America. And by the way, when I say surrender of America, I mean it every step of the way. Surrender of America. We've got new reports that I can talk or that I can share with you, and I'll take your calls about this too. But we've got new reports of Turkish, Turkish um, leaders who have described how they advise people from around the globe to get to Mexico and to get into the United States. Our enemies are not just the Mexican government that are trying to bribe us, as I just described. Our enemies are also from the Middle East. Our enemies are doing anything and everything they can to facilitate the erasure of American sovereignty because it's better for their globalist agenda if the United States is weak. That's just a fact. I'll give you some of that information as we go. John is calling us. John, you're on AM 1420. The answer, thanks for waiting. Go right ahead. Hey, good morning, Bob. Reading the Biden administration from an historical perspective, if it's not the worst administration in our history, you have to go back to the administrations of James Buchanan and Millard Fillmore, who both ignored the growing and uh, festering tensions between North and South in our country. 
setting the stage for our civil war, which Lincoln had to stand up and, and face and solve. That's a good. That's a good. That's a good point. That's why I kind of tried to leave myself a little wiggle room when I said the worst and weakest most administration ever. And I said I got to ponder and think about all of them, but it's the worst one I can think of at the top of my head. Thank you for bringing yeah. that one up because you're right. Okay. Yeah. It's a it's a close race. Yeah, and, and but you know, but of course this one is the is the present one. That one we saw how it played out. This one we have a chance to head off and we have to do this now because here's the thing. If we have back-to-back administrations, meaning the same administration or this administration led by somebody else who's going to do the same thing, you know, whether it be Kamala or Newsom or somebody else, but if we have back-to-back administrations like this one, I don't think we'll survive. I mean, we survived and overcame the Civil War. We, you know, it, it took obviously, you know, hundreds of thousands of American lives. Uh, it, it took untold dollars. It took extraordinary, you know, pain to heal us and bring us back together. I don't know, because this wouldn't be a civil war. This would be, again, kind of an invasion from outside. John, I don't know if we get another four years of technically five this coming year and then four more after it. If we have five more years of what we've experienced in these last three, I don't know if we come out of this talking about uh, how we emerged from the, you know, from, from this particular moment of time the way we can now through the lens of history, say we emerged from the Civil War and, uh, and got past all of that. I just don't know if the history books will ever be written again because I think America would die as we know it. Our goose will be cooked. <clears throat> yes, our goose will be, will be cooked in, this, in the same way that the books are being cooked now by this administration when it comes to the real numbers here. John, thanks for the call. I appreciate that. 216 Triple eight two eight one eleven ten. The uh, border situation is not the only story of the day. I've got a couple of others, including how can a presidential administration misplace its Secretary of Defense and have no one notice it? Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Defense, disappeared for four days and no one noticed. How can the man in charge of our national security vis-a-vis the military, the defense secretary, the Pentagon chief, how can he be missing in action for four days and no one notice it, including the commander-in-chief Joe Biden? This is a scandal of larger proportions than people want to realize. I'll address that. Okay, 951. Don't forget we got Kirsten out coming up after the top of the hour. Lloyd Austin is the Secretary of Defense for what it's worth. He, like so many other members of the Biden administration, weak and feckless. That's just, I'm sorry to be redundant. It's just, they, they apply. These terms truly apply. So, um, Lloyd Austin disappeared and no one noticed it. As it turns out, you probably have seen the story by now, he went in for a, uh, a surgical procedure. And when he did so, he didn't tell his boss. Apparently, he didn't tell anybody. And then when he had complications and he wasn't out right away, he was gone for a second day, nobody knew. He was gone for a third day, nobody knew. Finally showed up uh, on the fourth day. And, and the president of the United States had no earthly idea. Now, many Republicans very concerned about this fact that the man who's in charge of our military, literally responsible for national defense was unavailable, and his second-in-command did not know that that person was now first-in-command to make those decisions. The commander-in-chief didn't have anybody who could, have, who could have collaborated with if something would have happened in that time period. It's a big deal. 
So Biden is now being asked, will you fire him? Is this a fireable offense? The answer, by the way, is yes, it is. It absolutely is. But Biden's answer was no. No, we're not firing him. And if Lloyd Austin submits his resignation for this undisclosed surgical procedure disappearance for four days, um, I will not accept it. There is no accountability in the Biden administration. Let me say that again, none. Now, Senator Tom Cotton has some questions about this. Senator Tom Cotton wants to know, how the hell can the defense secretary disappear and no one notices? Who's more to blame here? Is it it Lloyd Austin, the secretary of defense, for not being transparent and clear and upfront with his boss about what's happening to him and where he's going? Or the doddering old dementia-addled, confused man who had no idea that he was even gone. It raises some troubling questions. If this administration would conceal a mere elective minor surgery for a cabinet secretary, what might they, what might they be concealing about Joe Biden's health? Or another question, what's worse, that the Secretary of Defense was hospitalized and unable to perform his duty for four days without the President of the United States knowing, much less the Congress or the public, or the fact that the president and no one at the White House noticed. Again, it raises questions about Joe Biden's competence and whether he's really in charge at the White House. We have to get the answers about what kind of procedure this was, why it was chosen to undergo now, and why no one chose to inform the president of the United States or his senior aides, much less Congress or the American people, that the Secretary of Defense was hospitalized and unable to perform his duties. I mean, you got to think international affairs to be more forthcoming, and it raises some troubling yeah, questions. International affairs arise, and international potentially security measures need to be taken, and the Secretary of Defense is AWOL, and nobody noticed. How does Joe Biden not notice that? It literally raises questions about Biden's competence and leadership when his defense secretary. And I would say this, no matter well. I was going to say I would say this about any cabinet-level position because they're all that important, and I suppose I would and will. But this is a little bit more important when you are talking about the military arm of the government, when we're talking about the Pentagon, when we're talking about national security and the defense secretary is gone. uh, There's just no accountability whatsoever. Let me tell you one of the reasons why I think this is a real thing. Let me tell you one of the reasons why Joe Biden refuses to hold uh, Austin accountable. He won't fire him, and he won't even accept his resignation, which should be uh, um, uh, offered. Uh, That resignation should absolutely be offered by Lloyd Austin. Here's why. Joe Biden would never hold his black Pentagon chief, defense secretary, accountable because he's getting destroyed, destroyed in the polls with minority voters. Let me share this with you. The newest poll is from USA Today and Suffolk University. Those are left-leaning, one left-leaning media outlet and a left-leaning university. They just did the most recent poll. According to the poll, just 63% of black Americans plan to vote for Joe Biden. That's 24 points fewer than in 2020 voted for Joe Biden. Biden beat Trump in black voters 87 to 13. He's now 24 points fewer than that with black voters. He's also losing Hispanics outright. He beat Trump in 2020 in in the Hispanic vote by nearly 20 points. Now he's losing by five points. Okay? 
He's in trouble with minority voters in a huge way. He's not going to fire a minority. He's not going to fire a black defense secretary over something like this. Not a chance. Why do you think it is that he went to the, uh, the uh, black church in South Carolina in Charleston yesterday and declared that he spends more time in black churches than black people do and that he personally himself st- started the civil rights movement? Did you know that? I didn't know that. Joe Biden claimed at this uh, at the uh, 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 black church, the AME church in Charleston, that he spent more time in his neighborhood AME church in Wilmington, Delaware, than even black people did, and that he started the civil rights movement there. You can't make this crap up. I was talking downstairs. I uh, I've spent more time in uh, the uh, Bethel AME church in Wilmington, Delaware, than I have. Uh, than most people I know, black or white, have spent in that church. I have spent more time in the Bethel AME Church in Wilmington, Delaware, than most people I know, black or white, have spent in that church. Why? What did you do there? Because that's where I started. No, I'm serious. I started a civil rights movement. I... That's where I started. No, I'm serious. The civil rights movement. He said this out loud. He's pandering to black voters in the worst possible way, making one of his first election year campaign stump events at a black church in Charleston where a white supremacist shot and killed nine black people. The uniter-in-chief wanted to go there and stoke racial division and racial tension and proclaim himself to be the president for black people. I spent more time in black churches than black people do. By the way, this, and I started the civil rights movement. And by the way, this is the same guy who also said last time around that if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. Remember that one? He's underwater with black voters, and that's why he won't do anything with Lloyd Austin. Not a chance. All right, we're going to talk to Kersenau about that and a whole lot more. Stay here. Pete is up next on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. children this the last best hope of man on earth or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness Darkness. this is always right radio on am 1420 the answer is your host bob france Already, hour number two is underway it is seven minutes past 10 o'clock thanks for being with us you know what today is don't you if it's a Tuesday, it's a Kersenau day. Let's bring in our friend Peter Kersenau, who is the longest-serving commissioner in the history of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He is also an attorney and an author. He is a columnist. He is a radio host. He is a... Uh, I don't know. What else do you do? Oh, he's a law professor sometimes as well. He's got a very large business card. And Peter Kersenau, first of all, welcome for the first time in 2024. How are you, my friend? Doing pretty well, Bob. Uh, how are you doing? 
I'm doing well. Now I wanted to know: Did you want to start singing "Hail to the Victors" or uh, did you? Did you? No, want me no, to, no, 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 no. I, I, "Hail to the." What is that? Is that uh, was was that was that from someplace during the Weimar Republic? I mean, I, I don't remember that. <laughs> I don't know, but they were playing it on national TV last night, and uh, a whole lot of Buckeye fans were gritting their teeth and driving their nails into their palm, fingernails into their palms, uh, with rage as uh, Jim Harbaugh's Wolverines won the national championship. Did Did you watch? Of course not. I'm not going <laughs> to. <laughs> Sorry. Well, that you're is. a glutton for punishment. You've watched the Browns for for 50 years and, and yeah, never gotten right. anything to show for it. So I don't know. Yeah, you but want... they were never the enemy. They were never the yeah. enemy. So. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, it, it wasn't even a great game. I, my son and I watched it to the extent that we could. It was. And it wasn't even a great game. Michigan really did dominate them pretty much from start to finish, and uh, and away we go. So, uh, 365 days of misery for Buckeye fans watching them celebrate up north. Uh, but there it is. I thought. I thought being the football guy that you are, you you would pretty much watch anything. Well, no. Um, well, you know, I do kind of watch almost anything related to football, but. Um... <laughs> I'm not the biggest Michigan fan in the world. As most Buckeye people. <laughs> well, most of the people and, I and know, I, most of the Buckeye fans that I know, Pete, were watching just to cheer for Washington. You know, I mean, that's, well, that's what I I'm had thinking. A, yeah, my problem is I, I had a pretty good idea Michigan was going to win. Look, I, I got to give them credit. They had a good team. Uh, Harbaugh didn't screw up, um, which is the most you can say. And I don't want to take it away from Harbaugh. Harbaugh's, <laughs> Harbaugh's you know, he's a decent coach. He's not going to be mistaken for uh, Woody Hayes or uh, Urban Meyer or anybody else like that. But Harbaugh's a good coach, and they had a good team. They've got a good rushing attack. Uh, you know, what can I say? I wasn't going to watch because it would have been painful to watch Michigan win the national championship. They here's here's, here's something that's even more painful to admit, I think. He's a better coach than Urban Meyer, and here's why. This guy won the national championship, as Urban did. He also made it to a Super Bowl and to a, another conference championship game the year after the Super Bowl. So he's done it on both levels. Urban was probably the worst coach maybe in the history of the National Football League for 13 games with the Jacksonville Jaguars, who took less than, a, less than a, a full year later to be pushing for the playoffs in a division championship with the same cast of characters. So uh, that, yeah. that's one thing you have to say about Harbaugh, and he's probably headed back to the, uh, to the NFL again, don't you think? Yeah, I hope he does because I'll tell you what he is. He's he's a good uh, college coach as far as a pro coach. I don't know about that. Uh, I think he's decent as a as a, a pro coach. He had a lot of great personnel. His general manager was phenomenal. But uh, with Urban, he went to the Super Bowl with Cap. He went to the Super Bowl with Cap as his quarterback. Yeah, well, weird things happen all the time. But Urban Meyer won <laughs> at two different schools, and I, I still say you know Urban Meyer might be uh, you know people have their opinions on Urban Meyer, but boy, I'd love to have him as a coach. Yeah, uh, Pete, Pete. I think you mentioned Pete Carroll. He won one on the college level and at the NFL level. Uh, he's you know a Super Bowl coach. So I th- guys who have done it on both levels, I think are, yeah. are, in a, are in a pretty good class there. But right. anyway, enough of that mess. Let's talk about the mess that is uh, the uh, the American Southern border. Pete, I want to start there because tomorrow, and I started the program this with this information this morning. Tomorrow, impeachment hearings begin, not for Joe Biden, but for Alejandro Mayorkas. They're doing this um, in the Homeland Security Committee and uh, a National Security Committee with uh, with uh, Chairman Green. They're going to have three different AGs from three different Midwest har- Midwest slash uh, Northwest uh, st- uh, heartland area states, not the border states, talking about the extraordinary pain that their their uh, 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 states are dealing with because of uh, the 9 million-plus illegal immigrants that have now crossed in Joe Biden's three years. Forget about the border states. That's why they're talking to these individuals. This is all a part of the um, impeachment effort. And Mayorkas, 
responded to Congresswoman Kat Kamek, who talked about that and uh, about him being impeached, and he said, you won't like what comes next. It was almost like a warning, almost like a threat. If you impeach me, you won't like what comes next, as if to say it's going to be even worse than what it is with his leadership at the border. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I can't imagine it getting any worse, but uh, the man is, yeah, I hate to say this, I'm not a physician, I'm not a psychologist. The guy seems to be borderline psychotic. You know, he will sit there with a calm expression and spout the most ridiculous and, and egregious lies and uh, with impunity. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. This is the worst border crisis in the history of the United States. It's it, by, by at least an order of magnitude. It exceeds anything that may have occurred in the 1950s. And at least in the 1950s, we had a robust deportation regime with President Eisenhower. Um, we have been swamped. You mentioned the figure 9 million. Nobody really knows. I happen to think it's more than that. I don't think Border Patrol truly has a good handle on who's coming across. We know about gotaways. We know about uh, the people who have actually presented themselves. Um, but I don't think that the scope of the border is so, the, the scope of the border is so huge that I'm not sure that you can take into consideration uh, the, the true scale of the invasion that we've been facing. We've had hundreds that we know of, hundreds of people on the terror watch list who've crossed the border. We've had tens of thousands of people who've been convicted of felonies in their homelands coming across the border. We have several diseases that were long since eradicated here in the United States come across the border. Diseases that we have been vaccinated against for at least 60, 70 years are now proliferating in our urban areas all across the country because of this. We have all manner of, of um, uh, maladies that are crossing the border, and he does not I, I think uh, when I'm about to say he does not care, he does not care about protecting the United States of America. I'm not quite sure what his agenda is other than to enhance the political power of the Democratic Party and to harm the United States of America. But I repeat myself, um, there, there's no way of uh, no patriotic American would permit anything like this. Uh, the man is despicable. He is, and, and, and if I may, Peter, it, it's more than just permitting it; it's facilitating it. It is, right. in other words, it's 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 not passive; it's active, intentional. That's what Jim Jordan said too. There is, it is impossible when you look at the number of crossings in 2021, 2022, and 2023, and see their exponential increase all the way along. It's impossible for that to happen accidentally. It's impossible for that to happen. Uh, without an intentional facilitation of this. And Mayorkas, like you said, he, he with that calm demeanor, straight face, sits before congressional and Senate committee after congressional and Senate committee and lies and says things like this. In fact, the majority of all migrants encountered at the southwest border throughout this administration have been removed, returned, or expelled, a majority of them. We are doing everything we can within a broken system to incentivize non-citizens to use lawful pathways, to impose consequences on those who do not, and to reduce irregular migration. Pete? Uh, You know, I'm impressed by him because it really is an extraordinary feat to lie in, at the scale and with the, mag- the, the frankly the, the calmness that this guy does, I mean, he could tell you that the sky is green and, with a straight face, you know. And uh, I, it's about time he has been impeached. It should have been a long time ago. Um, 
But he is not the only problem. There are so many people within the Biden administration who facilitate this, starting with the guy at, at the top. This is a dire national security threat, and they are sleepwalking through it. They're encouraging it, not sleepwalking through it. That's not true. Some people are sleepwalking through it, but they are actively encouraging it. They are pretty much signaling to the rest of the world, and especially to Mexico, upon whom they've imposed no sanctions whatsoever, that, hey, you know what? It's a free-for-all. You only got a finite period of time to bring your people in here or to expel your people into this country, the people you don't want and the people who want to come here because they think they're going to get free stuff, and they know they're going to get free stuff because it's abundantly plain based on news reports. They get free stuff, and American citizens are in second and third place after illegal immigrants. American citizens who are in the same economic position don't get free food, lodging, clothing, all kinds of other things. You don't get those kinds of things. You know, you pay, you, Your job is to pay taxes for these people who have no right to be in the United States. And we have to get, again, in my old phrase, plum mad dog mean. Actually, it's the outlaw Josie Wales phrase, but you have to get plum mad dog mean. All of these euphemisms that we're using with respect to illegal aliens should be abandoned immediately. Uh, I was concerned about this about when it first began happening about 20 years ago, and I know it happened at the Civil Rights Commission. I insisted that we continue calling them by their statutory designated name of illegal aliens and not migrants. Migrants sounds like, you know, somebody's on a vacation going from place to place. These are illegal aliens who are breaking our law. The first act that they take upon entering our country is to break our sovereign nation's laws. And yet we're treating them to free bus rides, free plane trips, welfare, hotel rooms, three squares. It's astonishing what's happening. And we're placing our citizens in second, third, and fourth place, the citizens who are paying taxes, the citizens who are fighting wars. Truly astonishing. This is your Democratic Party. This is the Progressive Party. They are damaging the United States. I hope not beyond repair. I'm not going to be apocalyptic about it, but they're doing grievous damage to the United States and not just to the southern borders. We're seeing it now in major metropolitan areas and now in outlying areas, places that never thought they'd have a legal immigration problem are now suffering from this. We can't sustain this, especially given our current economic situation. We can't do it. We can't invite the world in. And it's amazing to me that we don't have, I mean, even somebody as decrepit as Biden, at some point he has to wonder, I mean, doesn't he have an ounce of patriotism in his body? Doesn't he care about the integrity of our borders, about our national security, about the prosperity of our people? But what is his problem? This is, this is now no longer a joke. And at some point in the near future, and it may not happen on Biden's watch. I bet they're hoping that it happens on Trump's watch or somebody else's watch. There is going to be a cataclysmic event because we've permitted thousands of people on the terror watch list to enter this country. Thousands now. It was 800, and I think it was in September, last time I wrote about this. But this cannot stand. Um, I don't know what else to say about it, Bob. It just angers me. Well, I'm just glad I am not in that hearing because I'm not sure I could restrain myself from going across the table and, and doing some physical harm <laughs> to it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, you know, encouraging anybody to engage in physical harm, but he is hurting the United States like almost no single individual in the last 30 years. Well, and, you know, Peter, you're right, and, and it is hard to think of other thing, things to say about this, but um, I like to listen to people who do have more to say about it, particularly those who have been involved in this thing for decades now, people like Tom Homan. I know you're a big yeah. fan of his, as am I. And, and when you have people like Tom Homan... <clears throat> 
who's worked with ICE and CBP and so many other, uh, uh, you know, he's talked about it for working with six different administrations, for crying out loud. Um, when when they tell you what the problem is, you think you might want to listen to them. This isn't some newbie. This isn't some, you know, some outsider. This is a guy who knows it from the inside out, and here's what he says. Well, here's the problem. You got Langford is, is negotiating with Mayorkas, right? That's like talking to an arsonist how to put out a fire. He hasn't reached out to career law enforcement officers like myself or Mark Morgan or Rodney Scott, guys who spent decades on this issue, working for six different administrations on seeing what policies worked, what policies didn't. We haven't, made, we haven't received one phone call on what we think would work and what we know has failed over the last six administrations. Why not bring the experts to the table like the Trump administration did, which ended with great success? Politicians talking to politicians never works. And, I, I, and it makes me sad to say that, but that's just a stone cold fact. You need the people who spent decades on this border and saw success and saw failure to help you find success. Any thoughts, Peter? All due respect to, to him, who, I, as you're right, who I respect enormously. We, we actually don't need the people on the border. We can, this, is, this is not rocket science. We can see with our own eyes. Now, I, I'm being a little bit flippant in saying that. I do want the people you? who have been there no. who have done it. <laughs> but nonetheless, this, this is truly something that uh, anybody can see is a problem. And, you know, securing the border, the details of it might get a little bit complex. But the, the fact of the matter is that it requires commitment to do it. It requires some resources. We have done it in the past. Donald Trump came as close as you possibly can to sealing that border, and it's now abundantly apparent that all the things that the left has been saying about sealing the border and saying the, a border wall wouldn't work, we knew that was wrong, but now there is unequivocal. There's no way of refuting that, and without question, now, at bare minimum, we need a wall. And, you know, for years I've been saying we need a wall with a moat with alligators and machine yeah. gun turrets on top and sharks with friggin' lasers inside the moat. So it, it's, it's, this is a national well, security threat, both in terms of military and economic. It is something me, that must be done. Let me throw another part of this at you, Peter, <clears throat> because... Um, when you're talking about need know one of the things we need is even just to return to the remain in Mexico policy. Otherwise, we wouldn't be being bribed right now. And I don't know if you heard the, the news about the bribe. So let me just give this to you. And again, I, w- I was talking about this to the audience this morning before you came on. <clears throat> the Mexican president, Obrador, is basically saying, uh, you need to pay us protection money. It reminds me of old world mafia style stuff. You're yeah. going to pay protection here. We are demanding, said Obrador to Blinken and to uh, Mayorkas, $20 billion that they can distribute to Latin American and Caribbean countries, work visas for 10 million Hispanics who have worked in the U.S. for at least 10 years, and ending sanctions against Venezuela and halt the blockade of Cuba. This is what Obrador told them at their meeting at the end of December. Uh, this is all just kind of coming to light yesterday and today. But so they're demanding twenty billion U.S. dollars, um, the ten million Hispanic work visas, and then the Venezuela and Cuba uh, uh, sanctions being being lifted. If if we want any assistance from them in keeping people on their side of the southern border, no matter where they come from, that that I mean that's like I said, it's old school mafia and or it's modern day Mexican drug cartels. That's how they work. Essentially, you pay or we wipe you out. And they have a fairly good reason for thinking they're going to get it. Just a few months ago, they witnessed the greatest world sponsor of terrorism get billions of dollars from the United States of America. Billions of dollars. Stunning. 
this stuff. So they see that we will deal with anybody, especially those who are doing us harm, and just lavish untold funds upon them. Not a surprise at all. Under the Trump administration, this would never have happened. There wouldn't be any thought of happening, or almost any other president, but definitely under Trump. This is a country, meaning Mexico, who is ostensibly our largest trading partner. Not ostensibly, it is. By volume, I think it's nearly $900 billion. And more than half of that are imports. In other words, the Mexican economy is wholly dependent on the United States of America, and they're extorting us. That is the best evidence of the abject weakness, fecklessness, and stupidity of the Biden administration. And that's I'm talking about Biden and maybe a few others. There are people within that administration who are not stupid, and they are doing this intentionally for a whole host of reasons, some of which I can't, frankly, divine. I can tell you that, and some of which I probably wouldn't believe if somebody actually told me it. Uh, There are a lot of folks in that administration who hate the country passionately, and that was true of the Obama administration. I don't care what the media says. I've been there, seen them, done that, dealt with them. They hate the administration, uh, the, administra- the, the United States of America, its history, what it's founded upon. They, they would see no problem with doing damage to the United States of America. They think we deserve something like this. So this is going to go on as long as we have a Biden administration. We need to replace it immediately. This has nothing to do with politics. It has to do with national security and our own best interests. Crime, terrorism, disease, infrastructure, it's it's going on and on and on. We cannot survive for that much longer. And for uh, black Americans out there, I see the New York Times and others are saying that, uh, you know, more blacks are thinking about voting for Trump. This is the reason why, because even before this massive influx of illegal aliens, nearly one million blacks were displaced from the workforce because of competition from illegal immigrants who work for less and don't complain to the EEOC, OSHA, or the Wage and Hour Division of the Department of Labor. Right. Peter, um, I'm glad you brought up the polls in the New York Times. I've got a different one from USA Today, Suffolk University, about black voters and minority voters. Lightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob Prance on The Answer. All right, we move onward now at 1035. Our good friend Peter Kersenow is with us. Pete, I, uh, I'm told that you're feeling a little bit better, too. You getting stronger? You know, I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to get better. I have to give props to physical therapist at the uh, Cleveland Clinic and uh, who permitted me to begin light workouts. Um, I'm trying to be smart about it. I'm not deadlifting 450 pounds, but uh, it's been the longest period that I've ever been without any kind of, you know, strenuous physical exertion. And um, I'm afraid I'm going to hurt somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm glad you're still pay- playing through the pain. Even uh, I don't want you to overthrow it, but I'm glad you're still playing through it and getting some things done. And hopefully, you'll be able to do this thing without any uh, drastic measures being ne- needed to be taken, uh, such as surgeries. So, Peter, <clears throat> we're going to dive uh, into uh, the the numbers now. Here is what we are finding from uh, this latest survey from USA Today. You mentioned the New York Times. I'm going to f- I'm going to focus on this one from USA Today and Suffolk University. It shows that Joe Biden <clears throat> is in serious, serious trouble with minority voters. According to this survey, which is, again, the most recent, 63% of black Americans plan to vote for Biden. That's 24 percentage points less than he received in 2020 when he beat Trump mm-hmm. 87 to 13. Biden is outright losing to Trump 
in Hispanics right now after beating uh, Trump by a two to one margin in 2020. Now he is five points behind Trump, 39 to 34 with Hispanics. And then one more group, this one not racial, but age demographic, young voters, 35 and under. Trump now leads Biden there 37 to 33 percent after losing the younger voters by 24 points in 2020. Biden is in deep, deep trouble if he loses any one of those demographics, much less all three of them, which you know, when we say lose to the black one, of course, it just means not winning by anything close to what he did in 2020. Uh, he's in very serious trouble. Does this add to the belief and perception, Pete, that they're going to find a way, maybe a medical condition or something, maybe after Super Tuesday, to yank him from this race and have the DNC appoint a nominee? I think it's unquestionably the case. Although Democrats and the media, by I repeat myself, deny it, uh, the question is one of timing as far as I'm concerned. Look, the Democrats are the party of politics. They're very good at it. They know how to make the, you know, the, the machinations of politics work to their advantage. They study this. It is their business. Republicans, on the other hand, and most, most Republicans go about their daily lives. You know, they're doing you know, their jobs. They're engaging in business. They're doing all those kinds of things, and they're good at those things. But the Democrats, they've honed it. They know what they're doing. And I can't believe that the professional political party, the Democrats, are going to have the most unprofessional person running for the presidency, especially if he's been demonst- shown demonstrably to be unfit for the, the position. They may like his policies because they can just shove through whatever they want to. It's not really his policies. I don't think Biden really even knows, could, could sit down with you and exculpate any one of his polit- policies with any degree of confidence. That being said, they are still in real trouble because you look at the economy, you look at every other indice that typically drives election turnout and decision-making, mm-hmm. and the Democrats are underwater. They've got some serious problems. Now, that doesn't mean the Republicans are going to win because Republicans are called the stupid party for a reason. They'll find some way of screwing it up is the fear. But right now, with respect to minority voters, I don't recall in my lifetime, which is pretty long, a Democratic Party having such a problem. I've give you an example. I've written a number of pieces about this, and we've done this at the Civil Rights Commission. Historically, Democrats must get between 87 to 90 percent of a robust black turnout to be competitive, not just win, but to be competitive. Because for the last 10 elections, Bob, Democrats have only gotten and only averaged about 38 percent of a white vote. And it's one of the reasons why they're trying to change the demographics of the country. Remember also, Clinton got 89% of the black vote, Gore got 90% of the black vote, and they both still lost. So it's imperative that they have a huge black turnout, and it's got to go overwhelmingly, 90% plus for the Democrats. But you look at some of the polls, the New York Times polls I mentioned, the New York Times Siena poll, mm-hmm. right now... Um, Trump is looking at, and remember the, what I just said, 90% of uh, the black vote goes for Democrats, right? So traditionally, Republicans have gotten 8 to 10% of the black vote, and right now, under New York Times poll, Trump is at 22%. That may not sound like a lot, but that is death to the Democrats, and they know it. So what you're going to see is what, you're, what we've seen in the past, but this time on steroids. The closer we get to serious electioneering for this election, and it's starting already, we're going to be seeing stories in the media 
about how racist the Republicans are and racist this, racist that. You expect all that on steroids constantly. You think you were subjected to it over the last several years or for the last couple of decades. It's going to be magnified because they've got to sow um, seeds of racial discord in hopes of driving black turnout. You may remember, or some of you may rem- your listeners may remember, back in the early 2000s when Bush was pulling ahead of Gore, and then he was pulling ahead of um, <clears throat> Kerry in 2004, you saw a proliferation of these ads about how uh, there was the, um, uh, now I, I blanked for a second, I can't remember his name, but the, the gentleman who was dragged behind a uh, pickup truck. Bird. Oh, my goodness. Right, James Bird. Uh, you saw uh, churches being burned, black churches being burned, all kinds of things that they were hyping. Uh, and I don't suggest that the bird is a hype or anything. Everything is, but they're trying to sound as if this was happening across the nation, okay, which is right. completely false. But that's what they're gonna, we're going to be seeing. The media is going to seize upon any little issue and find a racial angle to it. Mark my words, been around for a long time. I've seen this movie before. And this is going to really hurt the United States of America, but it enhances the ability of the Democrats to get their most important demographic, their most loyal demographic, out to vote in a robust fashion. But they've got a lot of problems because well, we've got inflation, crime, illegal immigration that are having deleterious effects on steroids on blacks. And that's one of the reasons why you see uh, Biden hemorrhaging black support. Yeah, well, you know, it started yesterday, Pete, at the Black Church in Charleston. I'm sure you saw this, right? Yeah, I did. Um, he went to the Black Church in Charleston where a white supremacist shot and killed nine black people in a racist attack, which is very clear. Everybody knows this. And he declared that he spent more time growing up in the Black Church than black people did, and then declared that he himself started the Civil Rights Movement there. Listen to this, Peter, in case you missed it. I was talking downstairs. I... Uh... I've spent more time in uh, the uh, Bethel AME Church in Wilmington, Delaware, than I have uh, than most people I know, black or white, have spent in that church. Because that's why I started. A civil, no, I'm serious. I started the civil rights movement. I used to go to 7:30 mass. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I started the civil rights movement. That's where I started the civil rights movement. His words: "I'm blacker than you are." He said to black people. Meanwhile, this is the same guy, Peter, that four years ago declared to Charlemagne the God on his radio show, man, if you ain't voting for me, then you ain't black. I, how does yeah. it, This is also the guy who declared in 1977 that he doesn't want integration because he doesn't want his kids growing up in a jungle, a racial jungle, direct quote. I mean, talk about black people in jungles today. Your career is over. You are canceled. He's, he's made a 50-year career out of that kind of stuff, Peter. Yeah, he's done that, and he does it while being the most mendacious politician we've seen in a long, long time, and the media does not call him out on it. If he had tried, if almost anybody else, even Democrats, but definitely Republicans, had tried to say anything even remotely approaching that, it would have been a huge story in the media, but they give him a pass. So I fault the media to a large extent. They never, they, they may ask him one question that challenges him, but they don't pepper him with questions that they do with almost anybody else, even some Democrats, but as I said, definitely with Republicans. They would not, they would be the story of the day if he had said something, if a Republican had said something even remotely approaching that. So that's what we've got. We've got, uh, I think there's going to be an effort because I think the resuscitation or rehabilitation effort for Biden um, 
is going to be truncated. I don't think it's going to last that long because I think you saw it with Axelrod. That was the big shot across the bow when Axelrod Rod indicated that basically, you know, Biden can't win and they've got to think of, you know, substituting somebody else. I think it's going to happen. My my view is that I wouldn't be surprised if it happens even before the convention. I would uh, not be surprised and it would be a problem for Republicans because of our mendacious media if it were Michelle Obama. I would not be surprised because they would, would beat they would me understand. to it. That's what I was going to ask you because, uh, yeah. you know, we talked about this before. I think you mentioned this to me or I mentioned it to you. Sometimes these conversations start to run together that if they skip over Kamala Harris for Gavin Newsom. Right. He'll lose every black voter in America because yep. how dare you skip over the black female that is next in line. But if he skips over one black female for another or one person of female of color, whatever you want to call Jamaican Kamala, half Jamaican, half Indian, but but she's a, a woman of color for a black female like uh, like Michelle Obama, then that part goes away. Right. Everyone's concluded that, that Kamala Harris is a disaster. Uh, she can't be the person. But again, you cannot the most loyal demographic voting block for Democrats are black females. And we just talked a little bit about that. He's hemorrhaging the black vote, mainly among black males, but he can't then alienate black females or any progressives who would think that, you know, Kamala got a raw deal. So they've got to go with someone like a Michelle Obama. I personally don't think she wants it. I think she is too lazy and frankly not fit to do it. She she is not good on her feet, but she is lionized. They will put a cocoon around her and make her seem as if she is the smartest, greatest, nicest person in the entire world. And she may be the nicest person. I don't know personally. You know, frankly, I, I don't know. What I do know is she's not the, that bright. I've read her dissertation. I've I've, I've listened to her speak. Uh, but they will make her sound as if she's Oppenheimer. Uh, and she, a combination of Oppenheimer and, you know, one of the, the greatest saints in the world. She will be inviolate. You may not touch her. Anything that you say negative about her will be painted as racist. Republicans know the program, meaning Republican voters. We know what will happen. We know that we won't be able to say anything like, hey, you know, her policies stink. She's not the most adept. She's never even been a dog catcher before held office. Yeah, uh, Trump never did, but he ran multi-billion dollar businesses. My goodness. Um, it would be a formidable undertaking to beat Michelle Obama, but I can't imagine that the professional party, the professional political party, meaning the Democrats, would commit malpractice by running the most feeble candidate probably in history of the United States. Again, especially when you look at well, these polls. Pete, Pete, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you one of these impossible questions. It's like, would you rather freeze to death slowly and painfully or burn to death quickly and painfully? Would you, would our country be able to withstand four more years of feeble Joe and whoever is running his, his, his administration, which I think we all agree is not him, would you rather have another four years of what we have had for these first three? Technically, we'd have five more because he's got one to go here. Or the third term of Barack Obama, which is what the Michelle Obama presidency would be. Barack is back in the Oval Office again. Well, whether Michelle is running it or not, they are obviously in lockstep with one another. It's, it's the third term of Barack. Um, which would be more dangerous for the country, or which, in my other way, is which would be least objectionable in your mind? Yeah, I mean, which one do you want? Do you want to take poison or the execution squad? Um, it, it really is, it, and that's what it almost comes down to. Look, the. The Obama people are running the Joe Biden administration anyway. Um, the, they don't have the figurehead at the top. 
and he can't articulate the direction in which the Obama people would like to go and go as quickly as they like to go. But they're going there. Look at the open border. Look at the uh, Iran policy. They're, they're pretty much implementing all of Biden's, uh, I'm sorry, all of Obama's policies. And they're doing it with a guy who doesn't understand that uh, historically his history, his biography is going to be hopelessly tarnished. He just doesn't even realize it. Anybody else in a position like that would put the brakes on knowing that, you know, most of the American people in history will be treating him very badly because he's doing untold damage to the United States of America. With Michelle Obama, I think they could push the envelope for the reasons that I mentioned earlier. She is going to be virtually immune to attack based on identity. You can't attack the black female. No way in the world. Uh, or if you do, the press is going to come after you and try to destroy you, or they'll put together a protective phalanx around her. That's why I fear a Michelle Obama. Not because she is, you know, be good at what, what she does in terms of implementing policies that I abhor, but that she would be protected and insulated like no other president in the history of the United States, which would allow them to put together the most radical administration we've ever seen. Um, you know, and it would be sold to us as this is good for us because the United States has had a racist past. Uh, we've got to make amends for all the bad things we've done. And they have, let's, say, let's face it, successfully over the last 40, 50 years, inculcated that thought process into a lot of Americans through the educational system. So much of our education, we've talked about this before, and it's not an exaggeration, so much of our education is devoted not to reading, writing, arithmetic, but, but telling everybody basically the essence of the 1619 Project. It's 1619 Project light. And that's what we see. We see fewer people who are going into the military. We're seeing people who are constantly derogating the United States. We're seeing people selling out the United States in terms of even people at the top level of, of government. So this is a dire, uh, I, I don't mean to be, you know, it's, it's a gloomy day out there, and I'm being a very dire No, but it is, but... Pete. This is a year, like, unlike any other, and I know we have said that for the past several election cycles, but it's been true each time. Each year is more crucial than the last most important election we'll ever have, and that's where we are. And so this election year is underway, and everything that you're talking about and we're talking about has a direct impact on the future of this country, both our immediate future and the country we're going to gift to the generation behind us. And, uh, and, and it, is, it is that imperative. So be as gloomy as, as you want to be because it's realistic. And if, and if you try to see sunshine and rainbows, that's all you will see. And then, you know, pretty soon the gloom will envelop you and you will have done nothing to stop it. So you do what you've right. got to do to say what you've got to say. Um, yeah, and, and, and one of the reasons why you see so many people what with Trump with such a large lead, better or worse, I mean, he's got lots of faults, but people intuitively grasp the fact that Trump is the only one currently on the national stage, and frankly, the only one I've seen in years and years outside of maybe Reagan, who has the strength to do what's necessary. And that's why they fear him so much. That's why he's getting the blowback, because they have hegemony right now. They're in charge of everything, all of our institutions, and they know Trump don't play that game. Everyone else, they think that they can mold or cajole to their way because, again, they control all the institutions. They can flatter people like a Nikki Haley into thinking, you're the smart one, you're the moderate one, you're the reasonable one, and thereby, thereby get her to do things that Trump would never do because his – look, people can say anything they want to about Trump, but one thing is he does put America first. It's more than just a slogan. All right, I've got all kinds of problems with President Trump, but one thing I know is when he makes a decision, it's in the country's best interest. He has—he doesn't care about party. He doesn't care what, what faction you're with. He cares about America first. 
And I don't think there's a whole lot of people who can dispute that. So uh, you can dispute it with almost any Democrat who's running. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Uh, Pete, um, speaking of race and speaking of um, uh, his underwater numbers with blacks and so forth, um, Lloyd Austin is the black uh, Pentagon chief, the defense secretary. He disappeared for four days, and Biden didn't even know it. He didn't even notice he was gone. Neither did anybody else in the administration. Once it was discovered that he had a surgical procedure that may have went wrong and it may have had, you know, forced him to stay in longer than he thought he was going to, um, a lot of people rightly said, oh, my gosh. I mean, the, the second-in-command didn't even know they were now in charge of the Pentagon. The commander-in-chief didn't even know that his defense secretary was gone and so forth for his firing. Biden says we're not firing him, and if he tenders a resignation... I am trying to figure out how and why they can do that. I'm also trying to figure out how this would play if Donald Trump's uh, any cabinet-level member, much less the Secretary of Defense, went away for four days and went into a surgical procedure, was unconscious, and did not let the Commander-in-Chief know about it, how that would look to the rest of the country if Trump was in charge right now. But I'm wondering if he is taking this approach because he cannot fire a black cabinet member or a black secretary of of uh, defense right now simply because of where he is with minorities in this country. What are your thoughts? I, I agree with that. I think that's a significant part of it. It's kind of the Claudine Gay situation writ large. You can't yes. fire the black guy, you can't fire the black woman and all of that. But I also think that it's a function of, I don't think uh, Biden um, truly values the importance of these kinds of positions. In other words, we're just kind of on automatic pilot. And the fact that in a very dangerous world where there are wars going on, in which we are engaged one way or another all over the world, the Secretary of Defense disappearing for nearly a week and his second-in-command on vacation is not a big deal. Personally, as an aside, I would like to know who ordered the drone strikes during the time then when both of those, the Secretary and Assistant Secretary of Defense, were out of commission. Who's ordering these drone strikes? Who there, need, the there needs to be committee hearings on that. They need to investigate that. Absolutely right, Pete. Who knows? Yeah, and that's probably the least important thing, but it's the one that's specific. It's astonishing. Who had the temerity to send missiles after foreigners? People, I mean, they may be, you know, bad people, but my goodness, you would think we'd have some kind of chain of command controls. But we have right now, we've got... Problems with China going after Taiwan, Ukraine, Houthis in the Red Sea, you got Israel and, um, uh, you know, Iran threatening his, Israel, Iran's terrorist attacks and bombings all over the place. And yet we have a guy who disappears, doesn't he? Look, this is not like the fry cook at McDonald's who doesn't tell the shift uh, supervisor that he's going to be out for a while, okay? He fails to tell him that. This is the Secretary of Defense for the most powerful military in the history of the world, and he's gone for several days, and our Commander-in-Chief is completely oblivious to it, and the National Security Advisor apparently was oblivious to it. What, why are we even paying these people? This is stunning. This is their most important function, and they're asleep at the switch. This is one big spring break as far as they're concerned. A trillion-dollar enterprise with three million people has its leader and its second-in-command out of commission, and nobody knows about it. There you go. That, that spells it out as well as anybody can. Peter Kersenow, appreciate it. Thanks so much for the kind uh, for the thoughts, I should say, and for working through the pain, my friend. Get well soon. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, Bob. That's Kersenow. Takes us toward hour number three.
The last hour will be yours. 216-901-0945. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, onward into hour number three. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. Great job with Peter Kirsten. We covered a lot of very important ground uh, with Pete on issues of uh, relating to the election, to Donald Trump's poll numbers versus Joe Biden's falling poll numbers, particularly with minority voters, including and especially black voters. Twenty four percent fewer black voters plan to vote for him as of today. Still a long way to go. Then voted for him in 2020. We also talked to Pete about the ongoing crisis. I mean, I you know, you run out of words to describe what's going on. <clears throat> At the southern border now. Crisis, invasion, I mean, you name it, it all applies. And the impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas, which is starting tomorrow with testimony from uh, uh, what we uh, understand are the attorneys general of three uh, heartland states. Attorneys general of Montana, Oklahoma, and Missouri will all testify testify about the impacts of the ongoing invasion on their states. And they're not even border states. And then uh, they will uh, introduce articles of impeachment, apparently, against Mayorkas for not enforcing American law. Um, Republicans, however, just a little FYI, Pete and I didn't talk about this aspect. They're going to have to navigate this um, with, you know, some some very, very cautious uh, care, I guess, um, because their hold on the numbers on the majority are is very tenuous. Representative Bill Johnson, one of our favorites from here in the state of Ohio, is leaving later this month to become the president at Youngstown State University. You probably know that. So when he leaves, and with House Majority Leader uh, Steve Scalise from Louisiana working remotely until February, uh, votes are going to be very hard to come by until he's replaced and until Scalise can show up and vote. The margin could be as narrow as two votes. That means they're going to have to get every Republican on board with an impeachment of Mayorkas, including some who are not on board because they're rhinos or they're uniparty, people like uh, Ken Buck in Colorado, or they're concerned Republicans in purplish districts that are worried about their reelection chances and they don't want to alienate everybody uh, on the left uh, You know that they need some votes from. So it's a it's a precarious situation. It is. I mean, the impeachment is long overdue, and it is very well deserved, but it is by no means a sure thing. I think that's important to point out. 
All right, uh, we're guest free the rest of the way, so let's hit it at two one six nine zero one zero nine four five and triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Don in uh, Lakewood. We started to talk a little yesterday. We had to cut it short, so I'm glad he got back in today. Don, welcome. You're on the air. Go ahead. Yes, this is the Don of Lakewood. Now, I uh, as much as I agree with Peter on on most things and, and yourself, I have to sort of disagree about uh, about Biden for the following reasons. The Democrat mo is always that they are never, ever, ever, and incapable of admitting uh, to any kind of mistakes whatsoever. So even if Biden's in a wheelchair and they got to jack him full of speed and wheel him out, they're going to run him. Uh, if they replace him with, if they attempt to replace him with someone like Michelle Obama, I don't think that's going to fly because they're always talking about constitutionality and democracy. And this is someone who... Was, has not gone through the Democrat democratic process of being duly, uh, you know, elected. And if they go with Kamala Harris, well, they're not going to do that because she's a complete idiot. And she's, she, they, I, I think they know she would be an embarrassment uh, even more than she is now. <clears throat> so I think they're going to run Biden. Now, quickly, on Mayorkas. Well, hold on, before you uh, go to Mayorkas. Oh, go ahead. I mean, how how do I mean how do they justify that? Given what I just told you, I mean, if those numbers are are widespread now, obviously every poll has a sample size. Every poll has also a time. Uh, you know, in in I would imagine left leaning Suffolk University and left leaning USA Today are going to push poll things to try to be favorable to their people, and yet, according to those numbers, Trump would win. Trump would win in those key demographics, black, Hispanic, and younger voters, which means Trump would right. win, period, the general election, right. you know, in, 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 such a, in such a fashion. So if they see those numbers, I mean, what, what makes you so sure that they, that they can roll him out there, you know, as long as he's got a pulse? I mean, he's going to get beaten. Because they're the ones, mm-hmm. and, and Biden included, they're the ones that always uh, denigrate these polls. Biden himself laughs at these polls. See, they can, as I said, they can, they can. Yeah, but they all do that. They all do that. Trump does that too. Trump does that too. Whenever Trump well, is beating DeSantis and Haley by fifty points, he he. Oh my God, the polls! And whenever it shows something close, like in in New Hampshire or something like that, oh my God, these polls are ridiculous. Every poll that is your way, uh, he and the Democrats right. do the same thing. They they tout the accuracy of the polls, and every time they're losing in one of them, or or you drop a few points in something, it's the polls are all rigged. I mean, so you know, you can't you can't go by that. I, I know Trump's another story. I, that's another phone call. But at, at this point, my point is that I'm going by by the, the, the patterns that they have laid down, that they're never wrong about things. And I hope I am wrong. Oh, boy, do I hope I'm wrong, uh, that they're going to just run him. Uh, well, I, I kind of hope they do run him, actually. So can I mention the Mayorkas thing? By, uh, by all means, yes. That, that's my biggest uh, topic today is Mayorkas and what's going on at that border. Go ahead. Okay. Um, okay, Mayorkas, no matter how hard he is pressed tomorrow, he's not going to, again, yet again, he's not going to answer questions. And he's going to obfuscate, and he's going to dodge, and he's going to deny stuff, and he's going to lie at all costs. Because his directive via Biden is to keep that border open at all costs. And if by some chance Republicans do walk the walk and they get rid of him, Biden's just going to put someone else in that is going to have the marching orders to keep that uh, to, uh, to keep that border open and keep that flow going. So again, I hope I'm wrong. 
Uh, I hope the impeachment sends a serious message. Uh, but as long as Biden's in office, we're in we're in deep doo doo. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. And and anybody they would replace him with would be as bad or worse than him. I agree. But the message does have to be sent. If he is impeached, if yeah. if he, you know, even we all know the drill. Even if he is impeached, you know, it's got to go over to the Senate. And I don't know if it's the exact same way as with the president in terms of what it would take uh, as far as two thirds to 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 impeach him from the Senate. He probably still wouldn't do it. But the what you just said is crucial. The message would be sent. Whether Biden runs right. and wins another four years or Michelle Obama or anybody else, for that matter, comes in, they're going to recognize and realize they can't just throw people like that up into these positions and allow the American uh, right. people uh, you know, to, to watch their country be invaded in such a way because the people are now starting to stand up and fight back against it. Uh, and that, and this I truly believe... This is a critical linchpin, yes. Yeah, and I truly believe if this slim Republican majority does go forth and get impeachment done and passes and sends it over to the Senate, that will be a huge boon to their electoral pros- uh, uh, prospects in 2024, and we can increase that majority. If they fail, I think it goes in the other direction. Totally agree. <clears throat> yep. Well, I'll tell you what, Don, I appreciate the call. Thank you. Um, Thank you for it, your time. You got it. It's crucial. It is crucial to have this impeachment go forward. One of the biggest complaints that I get, and it's funny because I work in a, excuse me, I work in a field where I kind of get damned if I do and damned if I don't. The left accuses me of softballing some of the representatives that I talk to, like Max Miller and uh, Jim Jordan. These are people I talk to on a regular basis, or Bill Johnson, who's now leaving, of course, and, uh, you know, other, other members. And they say that I softball them, and I, you know, I'm just, you know, in a, in a, uh, you know, in an echo chamber and so forth. I'm always just touting what they're saying. But then I have other people telling me that I'm like really hard on Jim Jordan. As a matter of fact, I know I hear it from some people who are close to them, saying, "Can you uh, take it easy?" Because I'm going after things like the J6 story, the release of the videotapes, the impeachments, and every time I ask Jim Jordan every week. I get a little bit of pushback, not from him, but from some other people who are supportive of him that say, you know, uh, you, you, you're, you're going to be careful. You're going to alienate the, the, the people that are on our side. But the reality is this impeachment of Mayorkas and the impeachment of Biden are probably three years overdue, two and a half anyway. I think literal Articles of impeachment could have been and should have been drafted about midway through his first year in 2021. And here we are, and we're still in the inquiry phase in the election year of 2024. And I asked Jim Jordan about this all the time. And he says, well, we're working toward this, 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 this. And his answers are all fine, and they're well and they're good. But people get, get impatient. I get impatient because the people want to see Action. No more talk. No more, boy, we're really mad about that. We're, we're issuing some letters to the Department of Justice and the Attorney General and demanding this you know, uh, correspondence and that correspondence and these documents and those documents. And, we're, we're, you know, and pretty soon six more months have passed, and we're six more months closer to the next election. And we're getting tired of it. So I, I, I'm in a place where if I go too hard at them... I'm getting condemned, and if I go too easy on them, people saying, what the hell, hold his feet to the fire. Hold their feet to the fire. And I give people like Jordan credit for having the you-know-whats, the the onions, to come on with me every week, knowing I'm not kissing his rear. I'm agreeing with him because the reality is, on policy and ideology, we see eye-to-eye on 99.9% of the things. That's just truth. 
But we don't always see eye to eye on how to go about achieving things. I need things to start getting done. And I think the American people would probably agree with me that if this Congress, in this last year, the election year, the re-election year for Biden and for the slim Senate uh, Senate majority for the Democrats, if this Congress doesn't impeach Mayorkas at least, much less get to Biden by the time we get to November, Republican voters are going to be so disaffected, they're not going to come out in support of them in November. They're going to feel helpless. It's like, what the hell's the difference who controls the Congress if they're all going to do Democrat stuff? And they're not going to hold Democrats like Biden and Mayorkas accountable through the impeachment process. If they don't hold Hunter Biden in contempt, which James Comer says they're going to do, that's going to be a big blow to the re-election chances or keeping a majority, a slim majority, or expanding the majority in November. People are tired of the talk. I'm tired of it. We want some action. I'm, I'm sick and tired of watching all of the talk about articles of impeachment versus impeachment inquiries and everything else. I want it to get done. And I feel like if they don't do it this time, the American voters, the Republican, the conservative American voters who gave them the majority are going to throw their hands up and say, why should I wait in line to vote? Why should I bother? First of all, even if we do have things going our way, the Democrats are going to cheat. But second of all, even if the Republicans win, if they act like Democrats, look, the, look at the spending. Look at what we just reported on yesterday. Speaker Mike Johnson is only too happy to throw his arm around Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader, and say, we've got a deal, $1.66 trillion of Democrats spending. Joe Biden happy. Chuck Schumer and Hakeem Jeffries. Woohoo! And Mike Johnson, let's go. At least we didn't face a shutdown. What? How does that inspire Republicans to come to the polls in November and vote for this this speaker to continue to have the gavel and this majority to grow or expand when they're not doing squat? They're spending like Democrats. They're not securing the border. They're not building the wall. They're not impeaching those responsible. What the hell would we vote for them again for? Why should I waste my time? That's what Americans are going to say. So I reiterate, this impeachment that, that should begin tomorrow of Mayorkas must happen if there's any hope whatsoever of the Republicans to of, of uh, keeping their majority or expanding that majority in November. Otherwise, Republican voters are just going to throw up their hands and say, what, what's the point? If that guy keeps his job, why should I give any of them their jobs back? Uh, Charlie, you're up on AM 1420, The Answer. Go ahead, Charlie. Hey, Bob. Thank you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Um, my Orcus, he's following orders. It's what the guy said just before me. They're just going to get someone else. You think that impeaching a, a cabinet mm-hmm. member, which is kind of unprecedented, they have to go after Biden for this? And more than that, they got to go after Obama. This is treason. And they should go after how do you, how do you, how do you go, hold on how do you go, hold on how do you go after Obama since he's not in office right? I don't know after though he's the one that's pulling the strings the one that come up with this open border thing this is a treasonous thing to attack the foundation of America go after his communications he's talking somehow to to, to Biden and his people so let's go after his text well know, he could have, well I mean well no but I mean but, 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 but listen but listen. 
Barack Obama right now is a private citizen. Barack Obama can have daily phone calls with Joe Biden, and it wouldn't matter because he's a private citizen, and Joe Biden can talk to anybody he wants to. And if he's giving Joe Biden advice... Citizens can't commit treason. They can't commit treason. Even I can't commit treason. You can't. They can right. go after but you. But Biden can. But Biden can. If Biden is doing things that are you know, treasonous, uh, you know, whether he's getting that advice from Barack Obama or anybody else is irrelevant. Biden can be held accountable, yeah, but, but, but not somebody like Obama. The people that we can hold accountable... Oh, it's, of course, much harder for the president, which we saw. They, they impeached Trump twice and still couldn't remove him from office because the Senate, you know, they didn't have the votes in the Senate. And we wouldn't have them either if we impeached Joe Biden. But, but when it comes to some of his lackeys, like Mayorkas, who are responsible for the invasion and for, for the policies we're talking about right now, I think the bridge is a little bit, or rather the bar, is a little bit lower, a little bit easier to hurdle, and I think that's the message that has to be sent. We can get rid of Mayorkas, even though it may not do any good, because the next guy is going to do the same policies. The message will be sent to the Republican voters that the Republican Party is doing the work. They're holding these people accountable, and they'll continue to do so. A failure to impeach a Mayorkas is going to tell Republican voters, you know what, Uh, why waste your time? They're not worth it. They're not getting anything you, you, done. You may, may be right. The message is very important, but mm-hmm. it might just turn out to be more talk. And what if they don't impeach him? It's just it's, it weakens us even more. I just, you know, go after the, the, the snake's head, and that's Obama. I'm sorry. I, you know, and it'll be Michelle is because that's Obama's running Michelle, too. So he wants to stay president. He's the dictator. Yeah, well, so. you, you know, right, and if Michelle is indeed, yeah, that's why I brought it up to Peter, if Michelle is, is not, and she's talking, by the way, Michelle Obama is talking now, she made some statement at some event or whatever yesterday or over the weekend that said something to the effect of, she is, let me, I don't even have it, let me see if I can talk, just double And she did a one hour podcast, and, you know, she's coming that's out. That's where it was, yeah, that. that was the event, she was, she was on a podcast, and she talked about how scared she is of the way things are going to go if Trump is reelected, so she's making statements that you know, kind of a candidate would make or somebody who's thinking about being a candidate would make. And so, like I said to Pete, you know, a Michelle Obama presidency is the third Barack Obama presidency. Make no mistake about that. Um, you know, there would be no separation between the two, and that would put us in... Uh, in it'll in it'll happen during the convention. They'll just drop her in and say, okay, and then he'll, he'll be... He'll, yeah, because she wouldn't Obama. even have to win any he'll primaries. She wouldn't even have no. to win any primaries because they're not even letting them hold primaries. Robert F. Kennedy Jr., was getting huge percentages, 15, 18, 20% of, of the vote in polling. And he said, I'm a Democrat candidate for president. And the DNC said, the hell you are. We're not even letting you get on ballots in primaries. Joe Biden will run unopposed, period. Now that they may have to yank him, there's nobody in a primary to be the to pick it up. So they're going to just do an appointment and say, we choose X. And in this case, it would be uh, Big Mike, uh, 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 be a Michelle Obama. It would be Michelle Obama yeah, and the Big next in the next uh, uh, term of Barack Obama. That's that's his and for an eighty-two-year-old guy who's, who can get sick any day, they'll just say, "Oh, he's not feeling good." We right. Can't, It'll be health related for the convention. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. It'll be health related, and that'll be their excuse. It's not job performance. It's not polling. It's not losing to Trump. It's health related, and in deference to his health, you know, his service has come to an end, and picking up the ball and running with it is going to be Michelle and Barack Obama, and that's how right. they'll do it. And so Charlie, good. They, they could win. That's a very powerful ticket. So you know. it is. It is very, very concerning because that black vote that we just talked about that is that is uh, running away from uh, Joe Biden. 
Okay, it is 11.33. Final segment of the big show is underway. Thanks for being with us. If you missed any of the conversation today with Peter Kersenow, you can, of course, hear it probably within a half an hour or so at the of the end of the show. So uh, by one thirty or so, I would imagine. Uh, I'm sorry, 12.30 or so, I should say. Uh, Kersenow was phenomenal, as he always is. We also had a lot of very good, important audio clips that you may want to share with others, so make sure you check it out at... Um, WHKRadio.com, WHKRadio.com. Just go to the podcast page. We're going to go to um, Ava in Illyria. Ava, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. Um, Hi. I just wanted to uh, point out that there's a, a very good video online. It's less than 10 minutes by Victor David <laughs> Hansen called Who Benefits? And it's about illegal immigration. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody would be, you know, uh, advised to, to, to listen to that because it's really gets to the heart of, and I, I don't hear people, even conservatives, saying, why is why are they doing this? Why are they opening the borders? They're doing it on purpose. Okay, but why? Obviously, we know it's for voting voters, but, you know, and maybe chaos as well. But we need to understand what the reasons are, and that's how you get to the point. Republicans have also been kind of complicit in this in the past, but now we're dealing with numbers that are just ridiculous. And so any mass amnesty is going to be just unbelievable. Yale did a study back in 2018 and determined that there were over 22 million illegal aliens in this country. And that's not even probably counting get, you know, gotaways. You're the only person I know that actually points out that the 11 million is a very old number that we probably was picking something out of the air. Yeah. If you figure the people that came here during Trump and the massive amount that Biden has facilitated probably puts the number more like 35 to 40 million. If you can imagine what a mass amnesty would do. Whenever you hear a politician, whether Republican or Democrat, say the immigration system is broken, we need comprehensive immigration reform, you need to stop in your tracks because I tell you where that is heading. You are going to have the largest amnesty in the history of the United States, which will change us forever. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. And um you know when I uh when I think about that number, I think it was around 11 million they used to say that uh in the Bush years. Uh so I mean we're literally going oh, back yeah. to the fir- early part. I mean, I don't remember exactly what it was like in the later in the Clinton years than the late 90s, but it, right after the, you know, turn of the century and and after 9/11, whenever we started hearing this number and illegal immigration became such a huge hot topic during the Bush years, they talked about there's 11 million illegals in this country. And you're telling me that in all the Bush years which they did not do very much on immigration at all was one of my biggest complaints about the Bush administration. And then Obama, you're telling me that that number didn't grow. Then you're telling me, uh, you know, that uh, Joe Biden's uh, nine nine to, to, to 10 million that have already been allowed in the, just in these last three years. If that doesn't push it up over 23, 24, 25, I think you're right. It's probably closer to 30, 35. Then you're just not being honest. Um, they cannot say right. year after year after year with more and more crossings that 11 million stays the number. Strangely, right. <clears throat> Strangely, Eva, I apologize. I'll give you the last word in one second. Um, when I asked this question of my friends at FAIR, a huge, huge organization, Federation for American Immigration Reform, about that number, they push back and they say, no, actually, because the majority of them are visa overstays and so forth, you know, there's, there's usually a constant flow of them leaving who are here illegally, but then realizing they've got to go and then they self-deport, uh, and that's offsetting the number that are coming in. And it blows me away, and I say, you're telling me that there's 9 million of those, you know, self-deportations from people who were here, who were here illegally uh, who left? I don't buy it. Um, I don't know why right. so many people are afraid to say that the real number is probably closer to 25 to 30 million. Last thought. Well, I'd say 25 has got to be a huge underestimate because if the 18, uh, 2018 Yale study said at least 22 million, 
and we've got to figure that like the Trump people, maybe five and the, and Biden years, 10 million right there. You're into the high mid to high 30s. Yeah, because that's the one thing President Trump didn't do well. President Trump did not deport. Obama was better at deporting than Trump was. He built Mm -hmm. part of the wall, not nearly enough of it, and go into all the other things that go into that. But his policies worked in that he kept people uh, out by making them remain in Mexico and that sort of thing. But when it comes to getting rid of some of those who are already here, who are eligible for deportation, it was not a priority of the Trump administration because he said he did not want to do it. But anyway. Right. Just a final thing, and I think you pointed it out. When they're asking for money, they're not asking for money to build the fence, have E-Verify, and have better security. They're, they're asking for money so that they can more quickly and more efficiently facilitate bringing people into this country. So we got to keep member that what they're saying is, is I mean, it's just, it's just a... They've, they, they've almost admitted that. Yeah, Ava, you're right. They've almost admitted that. When they were talking about the need for, uh, for, for more money to hire more people, they said one of the things they want to do is to hire more immigration judges so they can speed up the process of, pro- right. of, of, of getting these people in. Not to speed up the process of deporting them, but to speed up the process of getting them in. And that, to me, you know, that's that's unconscionable. That's where we get into what Charlie and I were talking about when you get into the area of treason, uh, when you are intentionally subverting the United States sovereignty by increasing and intentionally putting a carrot out there and drawing illegals to cross our border. That, to me, is treasonous, and I think that's something. Right, and over about 90%, apparently, are fraudulent uh, asylum claims. So we bring the people in, and then, of course, they hardly leave. And most of them are shouldn't even be here anyway. Back in '86, when Reagan had that one, had that uh, amnesty, they thought yes. there would be a million people. Now it sounds ridiculous. Now three three million showed up, and it was mostly because of fraud. Now you put that on steroids, and here we are. Well, and two people forget that what Reagan did when he when he agreed to that amnesty, he said that the the the, the hand in, you know the other part of that, the other uh, uh, um, how am I trying to say the other side of that coin is we're going to lock the doors now. We're going to do this one time amnesty. We're going to lock the doors and crack down and have a very secure border and very strict uh, limit, uh, limited limited uh, uh, immigration to this country. And that of course was never followed through on. That wasn't his fault. Right. He and anytime, was, like I said, anytime someone says comprehensive immigration reform, that means mass amnesty with a phony on. pretense that you're going to have security. That's why KJP diversity hire says every single time that it's the Republicans' fault. Republicans won't deal with the immigration problem. What Republicans want to deal with is the border problem. They call it the immigration problem because you're right. They say secure the border only with mass amnesty for the, now you and I agree, 30 million or so illegals who are here. Eva, that's a great call. Thank you for doing it. I appreciate it. Make sure you call back sometime, okay? Good to have you. Jim in uh, West Park is next. Hi, Jim. Fire away. Uh, How are you doing? Good, sir. Uh, you had mentioned uh, the um, the invasion at Article Four, Section Four, clearly points that out. Uh, and I wanted to talk about. Remember when Trump had Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer in the White House, and uh, they were talking about the DACA people. Yes. And he said, "Well, uh, okay, let's let's talk about that." And she wanted the uh, the, the um, media removed from the the room and he said no the media stays so he said i'll see your five hundred thousand and i'll raise you five hundred thousand and they wouldn't have anything to do with it now on biden i'd heard or read somewhere that he was against the civil rights act you had a lot of clips this morning in the in the early part of your show program i'm sorry Mm -hmm. program so uh China's been running our elections since 2005. If you read The Invisible Treason in America, 
I want to read one time President Biden told the truth. This was during a campaign speech in October of 2020. He said, quote, we're in a situation where you have put together, and you guys did it for President Obama's administration before this, we have put together, I think, the most extensive and inclusive voter fraud organization in the history of American politics. So read the book. It tells you all about the Hammer Scorecard. I want the Hammer Scorecard to be uh, a, uh, a daily word. Uh, I think that uh, Donald Trump got over 100 million votes. They skimmed 33 million off him and mopped it up with the fraudulent uh, votes. Thanks a lot for taking my call, Bob. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, I don't know about that last part. I don't know if there was 33 million votes that were skimmed off, but I do believe that X number of million votes were added to the Biden totals by way of a lot of the different things we have all seen, including uh, the mules uh, when it comes to the ballot drop boxes, ballot harvesting, and then obviously, eh, we're shutting it down. We're still we're done counting for the night. Everybody can go home at 1 o'clock in the morning. And then all of a sudden, we got video of 2 o'clock in the morning, everybody opening new ballots, pulling them out from underneath the tables and everything else we've seen. I saw enough to know what happened uh, as far as them packing the, uh, the the votes in those key battleground states with Biden votes. Uh, Mike is in uh, Willowick. Hi, Mike. Go ahead. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing this morning? Good, Mike. What's on your mind? Very quickly. I mean, has the House even considered doing their own January 6th committee so they can bring in Nancy and the sergeant in arms to ask these questions that have always been on everyone's mind? You know, um, I don't know if they would call it a second January 6th committee, but they do need to do a full-on investigation, a congressional investigation, um, uh, to to get those questions answered. Remember, when they booted, when Nancy... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.